0: are directly tied in some way to people. (laughs) Just take a second and think about your own own, uh, fears that you listed or the fears that you struggle with. We're afraid people won't like us. Amen, sister, right? Yes. We're afraid we won't get our way. None of us ever parent that way, right? We never have any... We're never um, afraid of looking bad as mothers. No, that never comes into our things. Aren't we afraid that someone will hurt us? Our husband will abandon us. Our child will reject us. Our mother-in-law or daughter-in-law, let's be fair, equal opportunity here, um, won't get along. At Peacemaker Ministries, they like to say, where two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, eventually there's going to be conflict. Now, this is not my standard women's retreat or um, when I get to do five sessions on peacemaking and we go really in-depth into the peacemaking materials. But um, instead, what I want to do in this session is talk about specifically how how fear, how our fears relate to our peacemaking opportunities. Now, for some of you, you are not going to know what I'm talking about with the peacemaking principles in depth. I'm going to introduce them to you, but you're not going to know them in depth. So what I want to do is encourage you To get Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, which we have summarized and given as a gift to you in this brochure. So if you have a second, take out this brochure. It's not an advertisement for a ministry. It's not trying to get you to buy something or something like that. What this is, is a Bible study on a sheet of paper. In fact, Ken Sandy, who is an elder in my church and um, whose house we actually live in. It's funny. um, We bought the Sandy's home. So... Uh, Ken was not only a lawyer before he founded Peacemaker Ministries, but said an engineer. So we always laugh and say how our little old tiny 1954 home misses Ken a lot. <laughs> because everything was at right angles with Ken and all meticulously maintained, and Fred and I are both like, I-, I don't know, we don't know. But anyway, Ken will say, look at this, 30 years of my life in ministry on a sheet of paper. <laughs> and that's really what this is. And this is what we're going to be going through in this session, but Again, um, we talk about this Peacemaking Principles pamphlet as a quick hit overview of Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, which I truly believe is the only book other than the Bible that every Christian ought to know, read regularly, have internalized every way. Because why? Why would I say that? And I mean, I've read a lot of books, and I like books. I, I, I love books. But why would I say that's the only one? Because isn't it true That Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. If the defining mark and measure of what it means to be a Christian is to be a peacemaker, then shouldn't we know how to do it? But are most of us systematically trained in peacemaking? Most Christians aren't. We learn how to evangelize, and we learn how to have Bible studies, and we get trained in worship, and we get trained in all sorts of things, and it's great, and we should be, and we ought to be, and it's important. But how many Christians can say, I know when to confront and when to overlook. I am confident how to bring one or two others along to go and gently confront this person. I know exactly what I mean when I say I forgive you. And I know what I don't mean when I say I forgive you. I know it. I understand what the Bible calls me to. Can most Christians articulate that? No. And if you can't articulate that, now, I really encourage you, um, get Ken's book. And again, not so much because it's Ken's book, but because it helps us to understand Scripture. Um, really, you can sit and just study the Old and New Testament, and you're going to distill down to the same principles. But I really like it when people who are smarter than me... <laughs> Give me those helps to get into God's word. So um, the other thing I will just mention, and I, I don't like the way it sounds self-promoting, but it's such a screaming deal that I'm going to say it anyway. Um, my video series, which you couldn't pay me enough money to watch because I cannot stand the sound of my voice, and I would never want to look at myself, so, um, but I'm only allowed to discount it when I'm on site at events. I have a contract with peacemakers that I have to match their price. And I could be wrong, but I think it's like $149 or something. It's very expensive. Um, but when I'm on site, I can sell it for anything I want. And you can get the Living the Gospel and Relationships video series, a singleton, like the video and a, a guy for $35. But when I leave the event tonight and I go to my hotel, I have to charge full price. That's only when I'm physically present with you um, and you can get the entire set i think it's for like 50 or 60 dollars like 10 guides and the poster to put up in your church or whatever so i am saying that because it's cheap um, but also if you don't know these principles or if you need a review um, please 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 do it we are we are going to um, touch just touch these principles in this session we certainly cannot go uh, deeply into them okay so how does fear relate our, uh, peacemaking, uh, relate to our peacemaking opportunities? Let's turn, of course, to 1 Peter 3 and 4 and read first, and then um, we'll turn our attention to the biblical principles as outlined in this passage. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you are the peacemaker, that you have reconciled us to you, and that by the power of your Spirit, You give us wisdom and grace to love our neighbor and to work through our conflicts and to pursue unity and to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Lord, um, we are grateful. And I thank you in particular for the way 1 Peter 3 and 4 addresses a lot of relational conflicts and how it can be a stepping stone for us. Some of us don't know anything about biblical peacemaking. I pray that you will help us uh, who are beginners uh, to learn, to be challenged, to be convicted, even as regards one thing that um, we can learn and and take home and, and really meditate on. But Some of us are familiar with these principles, Lord, and we might be tempted to tune them out. And so I pray that instead you would help us, Lord, to be attentive, even though it's after lunch and what we really want is a nap. I pray that you help us to concentrate and to be diligent and to redeem this time and use it wisely. Uh, All for your glory, Lord, all for your glory, and we know you work all things together for our good as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so um, I kind of, I totally want to go sit down, but first I forgot to say one Bible passage that video ladies will know, but some of you will not know. And then we're going to read 1 Peter 3 and 4. Uh, will you turn with me first, though, to Matthew 5? I meant to say it when I was emphasizing how important peacemaking is. This is what I meant to say, because I think it's a great, it's two verses. You can't get more concise than this. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Why should we, why did I say that Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, is the only book that I think every Christian, besides the Bible... And I would not put the book and the Bible even in the same... They're not even on the same scope, of course. One is God's eternal, inerrant, perfect word, and one's a nice book. But it's, it's uh, very helpful. Why would I do that? Matthew 5, 23 and 24. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar... First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Um, Why is peacemaking so important? Why? Jesus says, before you even come to offer your gift at the altar, and what does that reference? When Jesus is talking about leaving your gift at the altar, all he's talking about there is worship. Isn't that true? So he's saying, if you are about to come to church tomorrow, and you remember that someone has something against you, First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Make every effort to keep the unity of the saints through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Confront, confess, forgive, get help. Do all these peacemaking things before you come to worship. Why? Isn't it true that if we don't do those things, then we come to worship, we come to church, but even the very act of worship, even receiving God's word in the sermon and receiving the sacrament of communion, aren't we just making a mockery of God? Because with one, you know, with our voices, we're saying God is the God who forgives and God is the God who loves. And then he calls us to love our neighbor. But not even our neighbor. Jesus says, love your... But we who are born again by the Spirit... And I'm sure people are popping into your mind, and sadly, some of you right now come to worship on Sunday morning. You act as though you have unity, but you hate one another in your hearts. And then we wonder why the world looks in and says, What, what are you talking about, this God of love and forgiveness and grace? In your handouts, um, I put the John 17 verses there too. Remember John 17, 20 through 23, um, where Jesus prayed, they would have complete unity. Right, that they would have the same unity as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the world would see the Father, sent the Son, and the Father loves them. All of these passages, and there are so many more that we could do. Um, why is it so important? Francis Schaeffer, in uh, his book, which I'm spacing the name of, what is Francis Schaeffer's book? How, then shall we live? Yes, thank you. He talks about, it's the last great apologetic. Christian relationships, it's our apologetic. Everything we claim to believe, we can negate in a breath by our gossip. Everything we confess about God, everything we confess about um, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, we negate when we are bitter and we hold a grudge against someone. And yet, when we instead pursue peace, like it says right here, even ahead of worship, um, saying and this is a normal part of our, our church, the culture of our church. Before you come to communion, this is how our pastors guard the communion table. Right? Is communion for everybody? Is it for unbelievers? No, we all know that. Is it for Christians who refuse to be reconciled? No. Now, does this mean if you're struggling, if you're in the battle, if you're working hard, then don't come? No, absolutely come. Um, my, I have a, a new book coming out, May 1st, which is coming really soon, called Redeeming Church Conflicts. And um, my, my co-author, who's a pastor, an ordained man, and I have written it together, I actually, I think I kind of hurt his feelings a little bit. When I dedicated it, not to him initially, I dedicated it to an elder in my church who I had had a protracted conflict with. He knows peacemaking inside and out. I know peacemaking. We're both mediators. He and I were in mediation um, not for a few weeks, not for a few months. It took years to work through our conflict. He'd get coached. I'd get coached. We'd come together. We'd go apart. He'd try. try. I mean, it was so hard. And I, I dedicated this book to my elder and my friend, for loving and forgiving me through the refining fire of church conflict. I am not saying this is easy. And did we take communion during that time? Not always. Mostly we did, right? But there were times where he was even distributing the elements and withholding because he would tell you he was harboring bitterness and resentment in his heart and he was not even trying to get past it when we're caught by the deceitfulness of sin and we're in that. But then most of the time we're just there. Beggars coming and saying, Please, God, help us. I know that I am not forgiving this person. I know that I am holding a grudge. I know that I'm, Help me, God. Please help me to change. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Now, um, what would the face of the church look like if we obeyed Matthew 5 23 and 24? Wouldn't it change? If all of a sudden the churches were places where everybody knew. I don't have to be afraid that someone has something against me because I know if they have something against me, they're going to come to me. And if they can't come to me, they're going to get help, and that person helping them will help that person to come to me, and we can work through our conflicts. This, guys, this is when we start to feel safe with one another. This is when we start to overcome all of these fears related to peacemaking. Um, One of my elders, he loves to give this example, and, and it's such a great... Here's a commercial for the teenage version. Have you guys? Did you know there's a teen version of the Peacemaker? Because teens never have any conflict with their parents, or you know, you never unfriend somebody, or you know, none of that, right? There's certainly never been an angry text sent in the history of time, right? That's never happened. No, um, but this elder talks about the teen edition of the Peacemaker because um, we our church did a short-term mission trip, and during the course of this trip, there was a young teenage girl who, um, I don't know if she was new in the church, I don't think she had been raised, raised in the church, but she was in the youth, very act- active in the youth group, and she was on this mission trip. And something this elder did, who, by the way, he has a really strong personality, I love it, but he can, you know, some people can take offense. And um, But he's really loving, and he's quick to apologize, he's a great guy. But he offended this girl, this teenage girl. And oh, she just started, you know, the... And she she turned to a friend and tried to... and do you know what happened the friend said oh it sounds like elder so-and-so has offended you um well you need to go and talk with him about that you may not talk with me about that and she went. it's like the charlie brown teacher you know and um, she just well she went to someone else right to some other little teen, teenager on the short-term summer mission project And the teenager said, oh, wow, that sounds really hard. It sounds like, Elder, uh, someone so-and-so really offended you. Yeah, you need to go and talk with him about that. You cannot talk with me about this. And each teen, having been trained in peacemaking, knew. And they said, "If, if it's too scary for you to go, I'll go with you. But you can't just keep talking about him behind his back. You need to go. And this guy, this really powerful, strong, you know, giant thinker of a wonderful man um he just he stands there he tells a story so he's like can you believe it a teen girl came and confronted me and she was right that's what he (laughs) said and she was right that I had offended her and I needed to apologize to her and we needed to be but how many of your youth right now are ready for that are they equipped do they stop gossip in its tracks or does it stay and kind of seed and kind of feed out? And, uh, so, um, okay, so that's my, now the session's really over, but it's not. We're going to do it. We're going to read First Peter, and we're going to talk about the fears and the 4 Gs. But that is my, um, my spiel, my, my commercial for peacemaking there. Okay, let's read First Peter. We know this is going to be good, way better than Tara rambling. 1 um, Peter, beginning at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Thinking again. What relationships do we see in these passages and conflicts and fear, especially related to them? Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. No conflicts ever there. That's never going to have a conflict, right? Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right. And do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do— "'living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. "'They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, "'and they heap abuse on you. "'But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. "'For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, "'so that they may be judged according to men in regard to the body, "'but live according to God in regard to the spirit. "'The end of all things is near.'" Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then... Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of God. Just take one second to reread that last If If peacemaking is anything, it is suffering. If peacemaking is anything, it is a call to do what? Commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. What specifically do we do? Well, Peacemaker Ministries has given us... Uh, this, re- this resource, if you open your brochure to this part with the, like, fancy coffee or cappuccino or something, um, they call it the four G's. And this is really the paradigm for peacemaking, for continuing to do good, Ro- loving one another in brotherly love, being committed to one another. All of these relationships reflected here, husbands and wives and masters and slaves and, and young men and, and, and young ladies, um, the four G's. Glorify God. Get the log out of your eye, gently restore, go and be reconciled. Glorify God, get the log out of your eye, gently restore, go and be reconciled. This is um, a quick summary, really a systematic, uh, a quick practical theology application of all of the verses in the Bible on things like trusting God in the midst of suffering and conflict. Um, When do we confront? When do we overlook? What does it mean when we forgive? How do we confess? But here's the thing. If you keep opening your brochure, you'll see the four G's is not how we usually respond. And seriously, if you look at the middle of your brochure, the slippery slope of conflict, you will see, I think, pretty easily how fear forces us. it forces us. That sounds way too deterministic. How fear tempts us. How's that? How fear challenges us. To respond in lots of different ways rather than the four G's, right? Um, the slippery slope of conflict, of course, you see the escape responses zone, the denial, flight, and suicide. And then the attack responses, assault, litigation, murder. You know what you can call those zones? Flight and fight. And do you know what it is? Um, What is the hormone in our bodies, the chemical that is released when the grizzly bear comes toward you down the path? What is it? Adrenaline. And what does adrenaline do? Fight or flight? Isn't that true? I'm going to kill the bear. Or I'm going to run away from the bear. But you never, ever run from a bear. Quick bear safety training for you there right there. Never run from a bear. Because even if the bear wasn't hungry, he will chase you just out of his own spontaneous nature. But fight or flight, right? Um, I was at the zoo this week with some, I took my friend's little daughters and my two daughters. And Ella was the youngest at at two and a half. She was there chasing after the big girls the whole time. We walked past the wolf cage. And I don't know if you know anything about wolves, but they are horrible creatures. (laughs) I'm fine. He the people who love them, that's great and praise the Lord. But and I know they glorify God while eating you. But I'm telling you, they, living in ranch country, wolves have no natural fear of man. They uh, other animals will have some natural fear of man. A wolf will take down a full-grown man on a full giant-sized horse and jump on it like it's nothing. And if you've read Little House on the Prairie, you know that's right because there's an episode <laughs> when Pa's riding his horse and the wolf pack comes around them. And uh, yeah. So um, anyway, we're walking through the zoo. And the girl, the big girls are running and having fun, playing and all this. And I've never, the wolves have never been this active when I've been at our little zoo. And our zoo has like four animals. It's so funny. I think of it as a nice place to walk around with a couple animals. That's what our little zoo in Montana is. But um, this white wolf, this chick wolf, girl wolf, (laughs) locked on Ella. And I am not kidding you. She had saliva coming down her mouth and it's one of those like a fence and then it has like the gap in the fence where there's a ravine so there's really nothing between you and the wolf right I mean there's no barge or anything and we would walk and she would walk and Ella would stop and she's "Ah, like you know and the wolf would stop and Ella would go this way and the wolf went this way I I I was so freaked out. As a lawyer, I was looking at the height of the fence and thinking, "Is this high enough that'd be a lawsuit if it wasn't, right? So I'm sure it's high enough. I mean, I, I had a nightmare that night about um, children being eaten by wolves. It was just the creepiest thing. And why am I even telling social? Oh yeah, firefly. I was thinking, as it was all happening, if that wolf... Climbed over that fence, I would do everything with my hands to protect Ella, but I probably couldn't. You understand that? There's, But I would do it. I would put myself between snapping jaws and claws and the whole bit to try to protect my child because that's our instinct and it's our God-given wonderful gift of adrenaline. Adrenaline is great. Adrenaline pulls school buses up, right? Oh, the mom reaches down and lifts the, the money That adrenaline shoots... Energy to your hands and to your legs. That's what adrenaline does. It says, kill the bear, kill the bear, kill the wolf, kill the wolf, or run, 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 run. But adrenaline short circuits all of your thinking. Adrenaline kills theology. And when you get into a conflict with somebody, your theology goes out the window. Isn't that true? Now, some of it, of course, is sin and unbelief. And we can't just say it's says, but there is a lot of conflict that has this fear element. And it's why we get so freaked out. It's why we don't do the four G's. We forget everything we claim to believe because while we're running away from the bear, we are not making a shopping list. And we are not thinking about our things to do. And we are not thinking about that great book on the doctrine of sin we just read. None of those things, oh, run, 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 run. That is all that we are thinking. Or kill, 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 kill. But when we do that in our relational conflicts, you see it? That's why our marriages, we break down. Our parenting breaks down. If we run away from our conflicts or we attack the other people in our conflicts, we give ourselves over to that baseness um, we are not doing all these peacemaking, all these peacemaking steps. And so the, the quick little hit of the steps of four G's, let's just talk briefly um, about each one. Um, looking at, I have all these 1 Peter 3 and 4 references I could say, not giving way to fear, keeping the unity of the mind, um, loving each other deeply, but of course, I don't have time to talk about that. So let's talk about glorify God. <laughs> when we're in a conflict... If, by God's grace, we can trust that the fence is high enough and the wolf is not coming over, and we can remember our basic training in peacemaking, the first, you glorify God, we would ask ourselves the question, how can I please and honor the Lord in this conflict? How can I please and honor the Lord in this conflict? Isn't this the heart of our fear related to peacemaking? We don't trust God. If I trusted God, if the fear of God was ruling really my life, I wouldn't be so afraid of this conflict. Why do you drop out of the women's Bible study when you get hurt by somebody in the women's Bible study? Why don't you just go to her and talk with her? Because all of you were like, <laughs> Never. I understand. That's why, by the way, Christian mediators are busy people, right? I mean... We're either causing conflicts or we're helping people in the conflicts. And there's a lot of conflicts. So the only way to get past fear in the first you glorify God is if we begin to live out what we believe, that God is trustworthy. That God is trustworthy and that he is good. Trusting God is the opposite of fear. It's the opposite. You cannot at the same time be trusting God that somehow this conflict, this broken relationship, is going to be worked together, even if it takes years. I can trust that God is at work. We cannot at the same time trust God and be given over to anxiety and fear and worry. They, they, they don't coexist. Um, so as we think, how can I glorify God? How can I trust him? Um, remember, information doesn't dislodge your fear. Because while, again, we are in that fear moment, you're not going to be remembering a lot of the information. So we must be purposeful and intentional. And, and um, I just am so grateful for the worship team, which they are incredible, by the way. I hope they have a CD because I would buy it. Um, we worship God. We rehearse his attributes. We remember, listen, not just the good things he's done in our lives, but the good that he is. See the difference? It's not just that he's done good things for me, because that's great. And I'm I'm glad that God does good things for us. But that doesn't help us when we're in an extended period of suffering, does it? Because in that moment, things aren't going so great for us. But it's not that we just remember what he has done that is good. It's that we remember that he is good. And we worship him. And we trust him. And that trust will lead us to obey him. And as we obey him, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to do four G's because God calls us to do it. Um, that Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if you're getting ready to go to church tomorrow and you remember that you have a conflict with someone, don't go to church. Can you believe that? It's not me. It's Jesus. First, go. And what does Romans 12 say? Make every effort, right? In as it depends on you. Can, you. can you make peace with that person? Can you force peace with that person? Can you make them confess to you? Can you make them forgive you? No. But are there a lot of things that you can do? Absolutely. And uh, you know one of the most ple- uh, most unpleasant, probably the least pleasant, probably the thing I hate the most, is the second G. Isn't it true? Get the log out of your eye. What a pesky verse. What did I do with my Bible? Matthew. Let's go ahead and look at it. we were already over in Matthew anyway. Matthew 5, 7. Or seven five, Matthew seven five. Why am I reversing these numbers today? While you're turning to Matthew seven five, first Peter, the verses talked about turning from evil, keeping a clear conscience, having a life that is done with sin. The G is get the log out of your eye, and it's taken directly from Matthew seven where Jesus says in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Isn't it true that when it comes to peacemaking, Matthew 7, 5, I mean, this is, Jesus just lays it out for us. Why don't we confess our sin and our contribution to a conflict? It's because we are hypocrites. We we claim one thing and we live another. We are hypocritical. We have a mask. We're we're living behind a mask. And, And just think about this. Take it out of the just listening to Tara ramble on and on. Think about a conflict that you are currently in, or that the most recent conflict you had, uh, maybe it was this morning on your way to the women 's retreat. Nobody ever gets quarrelsome and short tempered when you 're trying to get out the house right it 's the calmest hour of the day no <laughs> but why why don't I want to go and confess to you? Why do I not want to get the log isn't it uh, here's there's so many reasons why <laughs> i don't want um, I I'm afraid that I will be unmasked for the hypocrite that I am. I say to my daughter, I'm sorry I raised my voice to you again when we were running late for school. Will you please forgive me? Is that me confessing the log? Do you see it? I'm getting the log out of my eye. But in my heart, I know I'm going to raise my voice again to my daughter. I mean, how discouraging is sin? Isn't it just so discouraging to confess to my husband again, to confess to my daughter again, to get the log out. So I say I'm sorry, and yet I know that I am going to be struggling with sin until the Lord returns, or I go home to be with Him in glory. Isn't that one of the reasons why we don't want to confess? Why we don't want to live out the second G to get the log out of our own eye? Um, but here's another fear: I'm afraid that if I confess to you, how are you going to respond? See, because the thing is, I think you have some specks in your own eye. And you probably do, truthfully, right? My daughter, for example, isn't perfect in the morning when we're running late. She contributes to it. I mean, I'm like 100 million times worse. But um, still, she contributes. But here's the thing. Have you ever confessed to somebody and had just a, a graceless, Mean response come from them? I have. Uh, My dad was married uh, at different times before um, when I was little and growing up to three different women. And, you know, one time I was really convicted about something I had said about his third wife. It was mean and it was uncalled for. And my sister brought it to my attention and I, I knew I had to confess to her. And, you know, she had done a lot, a history of unkind things to me. I mean, you could list them there she it was just a lot but this was real what i had done to her was real and so there i sat and i got out my little if you turn to the back of your brochure there's the seven days of confession you know i had my little seven days of confession uh, address everyone involved what i had said to her i said to her at like a thanksgiving table because we never have conflicts the holidays right that <laughs> never happened and um you know, he, my dad was present, my sister and her husband were present, and uh, so I had to make my confession to her in front of all the other people too. So address everyone involved, It was a public offense, so I had to make a public confession, avoid if, but, or maybe how I wanted to say, but you've said like a hundred million mean things about me, behind. That. but you've tried, but, but, but you know, it, it does it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how um, unkind a person has been to us. If we have sinned, we have sinned. And Jesus doesn't say, um, if you have sinned 51%, then she is at 49 then get the log out of your eye. That's what we say, right? People ask me why my conflict with my elder went on so long. And the reason it went on so long is because I was sitting there saying, you know, he was 99% responsible for the conflict. He's, he's a man. He's older. He's ordained. He's like, I mean, I'm just little old me. I'm just little old me. And I kept trying to have this balancing act, right? Anyway, so I'm confessed. No, if, but, me. I Very specifically, I said the exact words I had said, which were really mean words. I was very embarrassed by it. I acknowledged how I had hurt her, accepted the consequences. I made a commitment, like I do to Sophie. I say, honey, with God's help, I am not going to continue to raise my voice to you. Um, this this is how I'm getting help from my prayer partners. Um, I'm asking Daddy for help with it. I actually went in to meet with Pastor Jason. I'm reading the book Uprooting Anger, which is, you know, showing a lot of why. Will you please forgive me? See the last A? Will you please forgive me? And my uh, dad's third wife, her, her response to my seven A's confession was, well, I'm really glad, Tara, that now you really see what a B Asterisk, 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 you are. That was the response. And I'm just there. You just, at that moment, you just kind of want to be like, peacemaking, shmish making. You know, I not want to do this. <laughs> but I did have, as 1 Peter 3 and 4, we just read, the, the joy of a clear conscience. And I even had the testimony, too, though, of people who are watching. Remember the whole Matthew 5 and, and Francis Schaefer and the last apologetic and all of that? Because later on that night, sitting with my sister and her Fred... I told you that we both married men named Fred, right? But I have a Fred, and she has a Fred. It's very funny. Two Freds, no waiting. That's what you say. Um, <laughs> we're sitting around talking, and Fred Macrae, my brother-in-law, is not a believer. He is, he is intentionally not a Christian. He's actively rejected the claims of Christ. And, um, but we are very close. Callie and her friend and my friend, we're, we're closest friends that you could be with, with people with different worldviews. Uh, but he's a counselor. He's a trained psychotherapist. And he has a ton of Christians that come into his secular psychotherapy, which we could talk about that, you know, and his wisdom. But just tons, constantly these people who come in. And he said to me in that conversation that night after this horrible exchange with my dad's wife, he said, you know, Tara, I have never seen a Christian's faith Cost them something. That's what he said. But that cost you to do that. And I was like, Yeah, I did not want to do it. That's what I told him. (laughs) I was like, Jesus made me. I was like, Jesus made me. (laughs) But remember, how a person responds to our confession, we are not responsible for that part. Right? Um, Dr. Dan Doriani said once at a women's conference, he said, when, you know, especially women leaders, Get a lot of criticism and a lot of attacks, and I don't even think of myself as a woman leader, but I know a lot of women leaders. And but he said once, he said, "Ladies, you've got to learn this phrase. You've got to just memorize it and just have it, and always have it in your hand." He said, "This is what you have to learn to say. You don't say it out loud. You don't say it out loud. Just privately, quietly to yourself." Um, he said, "I pity you for your graceless criticism of me because it reveals the appalling condition of your heart." Can you imagine? I can come to you. I can confess my sin. You can reject me. You can call me names. You can be graceless as the day is long. That is not about me. That is about your heart. Do you see that? I don't have to be afraid to confess. I don't have to be afraid to get the log out of my own eye. Because how you respond is not my responsibility. That is not my uh, realm of responsibility. That's about your heart, not about my heart. So he said, I pity you for your graceless criticism of me because it reveals the appalling condition of your heart. Okay, so we're in this peacemaking idea, which by the way has all these positive stories and elements, and ah, you know, read the book. It's, Ken's book is great. Um, we're thinking though, we're glorifying God, we're trusting Him. I don't have to be afraid, Lord. I know you're working this conflict. I don't have to be afraid to confess. Even though I know I'm going to keep struggling with sin, even though I know the person might not respond graciously, I can still obey your word and confess. Sometimes, though, I'm going to have to confront. Now, this is where there's a lot of fear in peacemaking. Isn't it true? I I don't want to say raise a hand, but, like, just nod at me a little bit if you like to confront people, if you think it's really... Because, by the way... If you want to confront people, that's even scarier, right? Because the Bible is really clear about being a busybody. Um, One time I was working on a church intervention team. Um, this is where you put a team of three or four mediators on site in a church that's really splitting or about to split. And you work for 11 days stretch. I mean, this is a long process of teaching and mediating and teaching and mediating. Anyway, any my co-mediator and I were in a room and a man walked in and he literally had a spiral bound notebook. And he took that notebook and he slammed it on the table and he said, listen, I know what's going on in this church. Bam! And he opened it up and he said, this is, these are all the bad decisions the leaders have made. And by date. He had dated decision, dated decision. He ha- you talk about keeping a record of wrongs, love keeping no... This was a spiral-bound dated record of wrongs. I, 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 uh, my co-mediator, you don't really shock him. He's just been around. He's just no- and he, Even he was like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is not how we want to be, right? Love keeping no record of wrongs. We don't want to be quick to confront, but sometimes we need to confront. On your handouts, I actually listed... For the third G gently restore. I gave you some elements of an effective confrontation. Matthew 18, Galatians 6.1. Brother, for someone to sinned, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. I just, we just got the best letter, my favorite letter. Um, a young, Fred told me about it because when he got the mail yesterday, a young person in our church who was uh, disciplined, and uh, censured, was restored, is being restored. We will gather as a body for the restoration. But, I mean, any of you who walked through when a young person is caught, or old person, anybody, any person, but is caught, and the body is there saying, we love you too much to just let you be caught in the sin and not take active, intentional steps to confront you privately, 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 as privately as possible, as long as possible, publicly as necessary with every element of the rod and staff you see that the rod and staff but the restoration this is the that's uh, i was so happy and sophie sophie gets it too you know you sit with your children and you pray for this is a family matter um we love them enough to go to uh confront them but how the first peter words talk about being considerate treating with respect Being sympathetic, compassionate, humble, keeping your tongue from evil, doing it with all gentleness, serving others. When you hear the word confrontation, are those the words that come most readily to mind? Shouldn't they be? So that we go. Look at the elements there. Um, I'm going to pray. You want to get over your fear related to confronting somebody? How much time have you prayed? Most of us don't pray very much. Really prayed. Prayed for your words and attitude and actions. Prayed for their heart. Prayed for that gently going, that confrontation. Choosing the right time and place. You know when's a really bad time to confront someone? Publicly. Yeah? Or if your husband is a stay-up-late guy and you're the early morning gal... Be aware of that when you go to confront. This is a, these are things that we can take uh, into account. Having charitable presumptions, talking in person. Here's one. Use the Bible carefully as a tool of God's grace, not a club. Have any of you ever been Matthew 18 Where someone sat down with you? Thump, you know? And they probably had some big study reference Bible. Right? And you leave that conversation, and you're just hopeless and despairing. And is that is that redemptive confrontation, or is that just mean? When we think about the third G of peacemaking, and having the courage to go when someone is caught in sin, when someone has offended us, to gently go, seriously, think about this. This is an evidence of how the Father works in our lives. Isn't it true that the Holy Spirit is continually working to sanctify us and to conform us to the image of Christ? And so this is the process, right? Justification is the once and for all transaction where our sin is expiated and God is expiated, but sanctification is the process where we bear with one another. I mean, does God save us and then immediately mature us to perfection? Only if It's like the Titanic, right? Are you saved, laddie? I am not. Be saved. Don't, you're dead. I mean, (laughs) you know that story, right? Like the pastor who's like saving people while clinging to the logs and the water and stuff. I mean, in that moment, yes, you get saved and you are perfect because you're dead. You're in glory. But for the rest of us, don't we grow in grace over time? We're being conformed to image. And our conflicts reveal those aspects of our lives in need of further sanctification. And the gently restoring, this isn't, you have these problems wrong with you, fix it, right? That, that is how the world responds, but that is not how we as Christians are called to respond. We are to say, how do we bear with one another? How do we say, you, you offended me and you hurt me, but I am committed to you and I'm not going anywhere. And we are going to get through this, even if we have to get help, even if we have to go to the peacemaking team or the elders. We are not going to give up on this relationship. We're going to be with one another because that's the fourth G, right? Go and be reconciled. First Peter 3 says, have unity of mind. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Guys, why are we afraid to forgive? Why are you holding grudges against people? Isn't one reason because we're afraid that they're going to do it again? Can't we all just acknowledge right now that they probably are going to do it again? Maybe not, and that'd be great. I mean, there are certain certainly there are some offenses. Like for instance with my the conflict with my elder, I can honestly tell you he and I have both grown And we do not respond to certain things in the same way we did when I was 29, you know, and he was 39. It's A part of it, too, is growth and growing up and all that. But the truth is we grow and we change. And sometimes, by God's grace, he does give us actual, where we see it in black and white victory over certain things. And isn't that good? Isn't that great? Can't you say there are certain sins that in your 20s you really struggled with that currently you are not actively in bondage to those sins? Praise the Lord. This is a good thing and we should rejoice in it. But a lot of the peacemaking things we do is daily bearing with one another. And that means continually having this attitude of being considerate and forgiving one another. This fourth G, it's not just for the big, big sins. It's for bearing with, um, continually forgiving. By the way, isn't that how God treats us? When we confess our sins to God, if God stepped back and said, I will totally forgive you, Tara, just as long as you guarantee you never do that sin again, who could stand? Would we ever be forgiven? We could never know forgiveness if that were the standard.